A few years ago, I saw a cartoon of a man who had a big zip right around his head. And a huge hand came out of the sky and unzipped his head and opened his skull just like a suitcase. And inside his head, in his mind, were hundreds of little people running around. Some of them were talking, some of them were hugging, some of them were arguing, some of them were fighting. And I thought it was quite a good metaphor for our mind today, you know. So many stories just constantly circulating in my mind. So many regrets, so many reflections on the past. Sometimes so much unfinished business and unresolved feelings that constantly seem to well up inside. But I do feel, and I think all of us perhaps would agree, that regrets are a part of the human condition today. We all have regrets. My own experience is that some go very quickly, some go very quickly, but some fade with time. But some memories remain, but perhaps the associated regret or feeling of that memory has less impact in, on me. There's less pain or feeling. But some memories seem to just linger on and they're as vivid as the time when that incident happened. And we seem that with all our education, we don't have tools or methodologies really to resolve these feelings. So each time they bubble up into the conscious mind, that uncomfortable feeling, that regret, that oh no, that sort of thinking can come so easily. And I think that really a part of the spiritual journey is really to begin to resolve the feelings of regret inside. What is regret? You know, I think that a part of our life, we want to resolve regrets. But I think also that regrets, we do remember. We, we have regrets in our mind. We want to resolve them, but we can also learn from regrets. And sometimes I've heard them say, don't regret regret. In other words, sometimes I think in my own experience, that some of the things that have happened to me have really helped me understand how to do things differently in the future. Regret is like an emotion experience when I think I would be happier or better if things were different in the past. It's like an emotion that we experience when I think that I'd be happier or better if things were different in the past. And what I really see is that regret is like this unfinished story inside of me. And it's like a shadow that seems to hang over the present. And sometimes I think memories, it's like memories are etched into my memory track. We, we all have this memory track where we hold the past. Most of our memories just seem to fade into the past, but some are like red ink on an account book. 
You know how in accounts you have the black ink where things are finished and settled, they're paid, but sometimes there's the red ink, something still outstanding to be paid. And to me it's really like regrets can be like that. And yet it seems to be like a family of emotions in the sense that regret is very closely associated with guilt. And perhaps even we could say that regret is a, a mild form of guilt. Guilt is a much deeper and more powerful form of regret. And there's shame, which is really like the social aspect of regret or guilt. There's even feelings of remorse. You know those feelings of sadness about the way things have happened in, in my life? Or perhaps even anger. You know, anger usually at myself because of things I've done or things I've said in the past. So there's, I think, a part of the human condition today is we all carry these different layers of regret inside of us. And I feel a part of our spiritual journey is beginning to dismantle a lot of the impact of these. Because what I really observe is that there's two main effects of regret. One is I don't feel happy in the present. They definitely take a tinge of my happiness and well-being. But I would say that secondly, it damages my relationship with myself. My long-term relationship is affected by these feelings. And there's different layers of regret. Sometimes there's regret at action, but there's also regret at inaction, I would say. In other words, sometimes I regret I've done something, but sometimes I regret that I didn't do something that I felt I should have. And many years ago, I actually am based in Sydney. And <clears throat> I used to teach at the main prison in Sydney. And there was a special part of that prison where they had prisoners they were trying to encourage to reform behaviour. And it was a small prison with about 15 prisoners. And if they behaved well, they were given points. And when they got points, they got special privileges. They could do things like watch television or things like that. And when I went along to this prison, um, I was offering meditation. Um, Fifteen, every, all the prisoners in this particular division came along. And I was really happy. I thought, wow, they're really interested in meditation. Then I found out they got points for coming for the, for the lesson. And, but I have a very clear memory that there was one prisoner. We were talking about things like this, the conscience actually. And he became incredibly emotional and he just said, I have this huge regret about my life. He was extremely articulate. And he said that I get angry and when I get angry, I go into a rage and I lose all control over myself. And as a result, I killed somebody. And he said that I don't think I can ever really deal with that regret. So sometimes, actions of the past have such a powerful influence on us. And it's sometimes inaction too. Because only recently I was in Canberra, the capital of the country, 
And I was with a man who was born in Delhi. And I don't even remember how the story came up, but he was telling me he was quite young around the time that Indira Gandhi was assassinated, which I think was 1984, but many of you would probably know much better. And he said that he was with his parents in a car and his two brothers. He was sitting in the back seat with his two brothers. And as you remember, or you may remember that at that time when Indira Gandhi was assassinated, there was a lot of reprisals all over the country, but especially in Delhi. Many people were killed. And he said they were driving along the street and they turned a corner and a man was being chased by a whole mob. And the boy, he said, he and his brother said to his parents, stop, stop, let's take this guy in so that, you know, we can save him. And his mother said, no, no, we won't. And they drove off. And he said that he and his brothers were so angry because the mob caught this man and he, he perished. He said they were so angry. He, and he said for years he felt that regret. And yet he said at the same time, if we had stopped, probably we, the whole family would have perished at that time. They would have killed the whole family. So you know how sometimes you do an action, you have regret and it remains you know, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your feelings. But sometimes you had the opportunity to act, to do something and you didn't do it. And that regret can be equally powerful, I feel. Once I was also with a woman who was terminal, had a terminal illness. And I was just chatting to her and she was telling me about her life story. I'd known her for some time. And I don't know why, you know how sometimes just thoughts come in your mind and I said to him, to her, that um, is there anything that you would like to resolve before you pass on? And the second I said that, a little tear just came in her eye. It just popped, just in the corner of her eye. And she said that there was a family member that she hadn't spoken to for like 15 years. And she said that that's something that I regret. That's something I would like to resolve. That's something I would like to clear before I move on. And I listened and I just said, well, if I was you, I would definitely try to reach out to meet that person before you move on. But I respect whatever you feel you need to do. And she did meet that person. And she said to me that it wasn't perfect, but it really healed a lot of the regret that she hadn't made the effort to reach out and really touch that person. And so sometimes regrets come from action, sometimes they come from inaction. But one of the main regrets that many of us have is about decisions we make in life. And someone was once telling me about a hierarchy of decisions and regret associated with them. What do you feel would be the main thing we regret about decisions in life? You know, usually people say marriage, actually. <laughs> but actually, the main one is education. Education. A lot of people regret that they didn't study something or do something, mainly because of pressure of family or society or expectations. 
I didn't really follow my heart. And so that can create regret too. But there's also, I think, a lot of regret around who I am and how I've lived my life. And once again, um, I was with a woman whom I'd known for a long time. And she was also a patient, a, a cancer patient, and she had become terminal. And I was talking to her about her life. And she was a, like a very sort of nervous person, a fearful person, and she would describe herself as that. And one night I went to visit her in the hospital, and you know how sometimes memories are very clear and vivid, like a videotape, you know, in your memory track. I can see it so clearly. Because it was a very, it was around dusk and her bedroom <clears throat> was right at the end of a long hall in the hospital. And I, I walked down and when I got to the door, it was absolutely silent. It was absolutely silent. You know, so still, I just didn't really want to move. So I just tippy-toed into her room and I just sat down quietly. I didn't say anything. And I could just see her silhouette lying in the bed. And for five minutes it was just still, and then this voice came from the bed. And she said, Charlie, I love you. And quite frankly, that was absolutely uncharacteristic of this person, totally uncharacteristic. And what had really happened was that once she knew she was terminal, once she knew that she wasn't really going to survive, she thought, I've got nothing to lose, I may as well be the person I've always wanted to be. And she became very expressive, very loving, in a very expressive way. And she even said to me, I regret I wasn't like this my whole life. Because often I think, you know, we are fearful, we are afraid of really being the person I really want to be, because we think, what will they think? What will they say? And so we live a life trying to please other people and what they think I should be like. And sometimes I regret that I sort of suppress myself and really the intrinsic me doesn't really come out. And I, <clears throat> I feel that so many of our regrets come around the time of death when a loved one passes on. And I can remember that when my mother died, that the day she passed on, my father's, one of my father's closest friends came over. He was a very special person and he counseled my father. Actually, my father was an incredibly good father and a very good husband. But you know, when someone passes on, you can often think, oh, I should have done this. I shouldn't have said this, rather than remembering all the wonderful things you did, a lifetime of love and support. Sometimes the nature of the human spirit is we tend to focus on the negative and wish or remember those moments on the journey together where perhaps I wasn't as supportive or kind or whatever as I could have been. And I, I think when I listen to these stories, when I observe these things, it really makes me think that, you know, to reflect on how am I living now? 
how am I living life now? Am I really being the person I really want to be? Am I expressing the love that I'd love to express in my life? And telling those around me how much I really value them. Because the strange thing in life often, we live with people for a whole lifetime. And it's after they die at their funerals, we often express how much we really appreciate them. And often when they're in front of me, we don't often show the appreciation that I really could. And I have a friend in New Zealand, and recently she was telling me she lives outside the country. And her father also was becoming very elderly. And she ended up deciding she wrote him a letter and she wrote him a long, long letter of all the things she had learned from him in her life, all the things she appreciated about him. And her, her mother said when he read that letter, he said to her, this is one of the most special gifts I've ever had in my whole life. And often I think, you know, rather than regretting in the future that I didn't act now, to act now and express to those around me how much they are important to me, how much I value them and how much love I have for them. I think it really does help. But you know, <clears throat> regret is a very powerful emotion. And sometimes I think there's like a, a cycle of regret. And a little while ago, a woman was telling me that she's like a human resources director in a company. And one of the staff wrote a long email of complaint about another staff member, um, a manager, I think it was. And she got this email. And by mistake, she sent the email to the person that the complaint was about. <laughs> Who's ever sent an email like that? <laughs> How did you feel when you did it? <laughs> and she says, you know, oh no, you know, when, you, when you've pressed that send button and you realise what you have done. And it's like we go through this sort of phases of regret. At first there's denial. It didn't happen. It's got to go away. You know, it's got to vanish. I'm in complete denial. And then secondly, it's like this bewilderment. How could have I done such a thing? You know, that sort of thinking, how could have I been so silly to do such a thing? But thirdly, when it starts to really impact, there's that self-punishment. And a lot of us, we seem to be very skilled at this self-punishment, you know? The thinking, I could kick myself, I could do this to myself, how could I be like this? And then fourthly, this reinforcement, this reinforcement where I go over and over what happened and fundamentally, what am I doing? I'm reinforcing a negative attitude towards myself. I would say that at the heart of a quality life, I need to reinforce love, respect, and a value for myself. It is impossible to have a quality life if 
I perform actions and I'm constantly reinforcing a negative view of myself in my psyche. It just weakens me as a person. And this is why I think a lot of the spiritual journey is learning about myself, but also starting to look at the effect of my past and how it overlays and is really influencing my present. How the guilt or the regret of the past can really overlay and influence how I feel about myself now. And I feel that in life today we need three wisdoms. And I would say the first is that intellectual ability, my IQ, which is the wisdom to help me understand the world outside. It's the wisdom that helps me pass exams, develop a career, make money to provide for my family. But when I feel afraid, when I feel depressed, when I feel anxious, when the past rears its head full of regrets and guilts, does this wisdom help? I don't think so. Secondly, there's emotional intelligence. We, we hear a lot about it today. It's fancy language to me for building rich, loving relationships with others. Surely one of life's most precious skills you know, often mothers are the most skilled in emotional intelligence. It's not something you learn in the classroom. Something to read the face and the vibrations of others and know how to respond. But the third type is really, I would call, spiritual intelligence. If emotional intelligence is the wisdom to build a rich, loving relationship with others, spiritual intelligence is the wisdom to build a rich, loving relationship with me. The first relationship in life is with me. If this relationship is dysfunctional, if this relationship is unhealthy, it impacts each and every part of my life. It impacts how I feel. It will impact my physical health. It will definitely impact my relationships with others, my performance in the workplace. And really, this wisdom is the wisdom to really begin to know who I am, experience who I am, and de develop a different perception about my past and how it influences me. So that I'm not just dancing to the tune of past stories, past experiences, past memories, which are really overlaying and influencing my present life experience. And so on this journey to a life, if I could probably say, with less regret, or a life where I start to move to resolve the things from the past, I first need to know who I am. And who am I really? To me, I see that there's three personalities inside all of us. Two of them, I feel, contribute to regret and identify with the regrets and hold on to the regrets. But the third personality helps me come to terms with the past. 
And the first personality I call the eye of arrogance or the eye of superiority. This personality takes its whole identity from my temporary body. I see myself as a whole set of labels based on gender, culture, religion, education. Hundreds of labels give me a sense of who I am, but they are all temporary. And when this I is ruling in my inner world, it has a whole thinking, feeling, behavioral structure. I first compare with others and I think, you know, I know more, I am right. And when it comes into my feelings, this is when I feel so easily insulted, disrespected, not valued, excluded, <coughs> sensitive. Is anyone here sensitive? No one's putting up their hand. <laughs> I mean, have you ever been absolutely amazed how delicate you can be, how fragile you can be? And to me, it's more like in this journey, this wonderful journey to get to know who I am. The way I look at it is when I'm feeling hurt, when I'm feeling insulted, when I'm feeling disrespected, rather than projecting to you, it's like a little message to me that the wrong I is ruling in my inner world. I'm being deceived by my ego at that time. And when my ego is ruling my inner system, I have regret about the outcome of things. Often I have a very strong desire. I want this job. I want this amount of money. I want this thing to happen. And my desire is really strong. And if it doesn't happen, often I will blame others around me. So I carry regrets, but a lot of my regrets uh, anger at other people and how they've behaved or how perhaps they haven't really allowed me to experience what I feel I deserved. So the first I is really the I of arrogance or the I of superiority. But this is really a front for the second I. And you know, behind that confident me is that vulnerable me. I think we all know we have a confident exterior. We can often show the world, but behind that confident exterior, I'm not so confident, perhaps. This I I call the I of lack of self-respect or the I of inferiority. It's like the ego of inferiority. This I also takes all its sense of self from the labels of my body. You know, Gandhi once said, labels are for jars, they're not for people. <laughs> he was a wise man. But when this I is really ruling in my system, I also compare with others and I think others are better, others know more, others are right. Others don't love me. Others don't value me. Others don't respect me. And when it comes into my feelings, 
That's when I sometimes feel hopeless about myself, unworthy, inadequate, inferior, I would even say depressed. Depression in psychology is like a real sadness that my dream in life to be loved and valued and respected hasn't happened. You know, we really feel life hasn't given me what I really want. But in spirituality, depression is like a mourning for the loss of my true identity. I'm living my life, but really, who am I? And when, when I'm actually only thinking that I'm this temporary body, it breeds these two children, my ego and my lack of self-respect. And when these two children are ruling my inner world, I go up and down. One day I'm up, the next day I'm down. One hour I'm up, the next hour I'm down. I fluctuate. And when my lack of self-respect, which I honestly feel is the power ruling our world today, if I can't respect myself, will I respect other people? Will I respect society? Will I respect the environment? I don't think so. I don't think so. And when this eye is ruling, I have this whole shopping list of regrets in my mind about my life and what I've done. And I hold these regrets against myself. And they make me feel heavy about myself, bad about myself. And sometimes in my heart, I feel I'm a bit of a failure because I've done this and this has happened. There's a whole lot of a shopping list sitting in my memory track like a shadow weighing on my inner world. The third eye is the original eye. And this eye thinks that I am a soul, the spirit, the atma. In Sanskrit, the atma means three things. I, the living, the dweller in the costume. The soul is a wonder because the soul exists, but it has no size. In mathematics, they define a point. A point exists, but it has no length, breadth or width. The soul is the most subtle thing. I am the soul. And I sit, the soul sits in the pituitary gland and really acts through this body. The soul is eternal, immortal, non-physical. And as I begin to think who I am, I begin to feel like, and my own experience, I think, when I began on the journey of meditation, it's like coming home to an incredibly sweet place inside where you feel so easy about who you are. You take the pressure off yourself to be something, to look good, to impress other people. All those feelings that often, you know, are pressuring me from the inside. And when I start to reconnect with my intrinsic self, the natural state of peace begins to emerge. And 
when I'm in this state of self-awareness, we have a completely different perspective to my past and my regrets. I begin to see that, you know, in my past I was often under the influence of many things, but now I have much more understanding of who I am. I was under the influence of or the illusion of my ego and my lack of self-respect. And under those influences, I often perform actions which I regret. But now I understand more who I am. And when my self-respect grows, I have the power to perform actions according to my truth. And so the more I begin to reconnect with who I am, Firstly, I think I have the power not to do actions that I know I might regret in the future. And secondly, I begin a spiritual practice where it begins to heal the effect of memories and the power of those memories start to reduce their effect on me. But secondly, I think in this journey of knowing myself, I begin to develop a different relationship with my conscience. And I think my conscience is one of the most misunderstood aspects of my spiritual anatomy, if I can say that. Because to me, my conscience holds my vessel of truth. It's an incredible part of me. So in your conscience, you hold your principles, your values, you hold the things that you hold important to you as a person. I know for me, one of the values I hold is a really important value is to respect other people. And if I observe myself contravening that, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about myself. I regret it. And so when you hold your truth in your conscience, who you are as a person, what you stand for, your principles, and you go against it, it's not just regret. I think that's one of the greatest pains in life. How can I respect myself if I do actions against who I see myself as? And this is why spiritually we often say that you are your own best friend or your own worst enemy. If I listen to my conscience, what I find is that, you know, when you're tempted, your des desires or something tempt you to do something. And if your conscience is strong, you listen to it, it's like a red light will go off and say, be careful, be careful. Because further down the track, you're going to have a lot of guilt or regret about this. So it in sense, it empowers you not to step over the line. But it becomes the worst enemy when I step over the line and I feel guilty. Because I think nothing disempowers me or weakens me spiritually than the feelings of guilt. And so in this journey of lessening the effect of regret, I start to really look at my relationship with my conscience. Thirdly, I think I need to go deeper into the understanding of who I am to understand why sometimes I do actions that I regret. You know how a part of you says, don't do that, 
and another part of you just seems to pull you? Anyone know that? <laughs> I think we all know those things. Um, because the soul is a fascinating thing. In this point of consciousness, there's actually, it's an overname for three aspects of the soul. The mind, and to me the mind is like a screen, like this screen here. Just imagine your mind as a screen. Whatever your sense organs pick up, whatever you see here is thrown on the screen of your mind. Your intellect is that faculty assessing all the information on the screen, what you hear, what you see, what you touch, etc. Just like at the moment, as I'm speaking, a part of you is saying, yeah, I like that, I agree with that, I don't agree with that. You know that part of you that's constantly assessing, constantly assessing, making decisions about the data you receive from your sense organs. When you assess, you, you make a decision and you perform an action. And the incredible thing of the human spirit is that we carry a record, a perfect record, a database of all my past actions sitting in my subconscious. And psychology says do an action 20 times and it becomes a habit. So we have some very deep habits inside us. Sometimes we have habits to be benevolent, to be kind, to be loving, to be understanding, to be forgiving. But we have habits also to feel angry, to feel resentful, to you know, reject a whole lot of negative habits too. And this is why sometimes these subconscious habits have greater power over my intellect. So my intellect says, no, I won't do that action because I'm going to regret it. But I do the action. Somehow the force of my subconscious is stronger than my understanding at that time. I do the action and then the regret comes. You know, the whole of the spiritual journey is putting more power into my intellect so that I don't succumb to the power of my emotions and my subconscious. And so I begin to see this game. And so even if sometimes I do give in to the subconscious, I understand the process going on. And next time I make more effort not to. Even fourthly, I would say that on this journey to living with less regret, that I begin to understand the universal law of action and reaction, cause and effect sowing and reaping. And I think when I do that, it helps me accept outcomes more. Because you know how sometimes in life you do something with the best intent. You do it with a really good feeling, a good intent. You want some positive outcome. But things go belly up completely. And sometimes things turn out a disaster. You know how that can happen? And you think, how on earth did that happen? You had this good intention, things go all messy, and in the end it can create a complete conflict with somebody or whatever. 
A man was telling me recently, he, he went to help a friend set up his business. He went out of his way, out of his way to help a friend set up a business with time, money and energy. The business didn't go well and the friend blames him, you know? <laughs> so his intent was really good to help. But in the end, it all became a big mess. Because under, we understand that there's this deep law of life, the law of karma, the law of action and reaction, that sometimes past stories come into play. And even though you want a good outcome, you regret the outcome because it didn't work out according to what you wanted. And sometimes, rather than holding on to that regret, we have to accept that this is what happens in life sometimes. Sometimes your intent is the highest, but things just don't work out. And finally, I think, where do I get the power the power not to suffer from the pain of regret and to perform the actions according to my truth so I don't create regret into the future. And to me, <clears throat> you know, it's all really around experiencing true love. And if I look at all the things I value, it's definitely the experience of love. And my experience is when the heart is full of love, I feel so easy about who I am. You know that lovely feeling, you feel very relaxed, very self-accepting. And I'm definitely a lot more generous and compassionate towards other people. But if the heart lacks love, if there's not really a quality of love in life, my observation is the mind can never rest. The agitated mind is looking, searching, seeking. Something is missing. The first need in life is love. I would say the first desire is love. And if that isn't experienced, I feel to compensate a million other desires begin to emerge. The desire for recognition, the desire for respect, the desire for power, the desire for control. Because that first need to be loved isn't experienced. And I feel there's three sources of love. From myself, from God, and from my family and friends. As we were talking, these days, unfortunately, not much love coming for me, from me. <clears throat> and often, there's a lot of self-criticism, self-talk, which is not very positive. But with God, I think a lot of people have faith in God, but I'm not sure we really experience deep love, a real sense of being loved. So my one source of love in life is my family and friends, for those around me. If there's a loss, if there's a loss or a conflict, it's like my whole life goes into upheaval. What is spirituality? I would say spirituality is first developing a loving relationship with myself 
as a soul, as a spiritual being. And secondly, a loving relationship with the divine or with God. And that is like a platform that I build my life upon. And when I come into relationships with others, I'm not so needy. But that platform fills me with an inner strength. And I would say that really where I get that power from perhaps to perform the actions I want is in this connection with the Supreme Soul, this union. The way I see it these days is that I'm a soul. I sit here, I act through this body. But God is also a soul. But God does not have a body. And yet God is as real as me. You are sitting here, I'm sitting here, you're feeling, your mind is active. You can feel, you're aware. God is also a conscious, aware soul. But I can't connect through my sense organs. I can only connect through the power of thought, energy. And this is why really all religious or spiritual people sit in silence when they want to connect with the divine. And I see the divine as a soul like me, eternal, non-physical, but a real living personality. And I would say like the lover of the soul. And in a sense, meditation is a union of I, the soul, with the Supreme Soul. Sometimes I think it's like God is on the FM wavelength. When I, the soul, forget who I am and only identify with my temporary labels, I'm on the AM wavelength. I know the FM exists. I have the faith like in religion, but I can't tune in. I can't tune in. Have you ever got an FM station on an AM dial? Anyone? <laughs> I doubt it. So I want to try to tune in. So I have to go up to the FM wavelength. And this is why on this spiritual journey of taking my power back to deal with things like regret, I have to become soul aware so I'm resonating on the same frequency. And when this connection becomes strong, it almost automatically fills me with an inner power to let go of the past and do actions to create a positive future. But in saying that, my experience these days is that our minds are so overactive our minds are in constant overdrive to the point we can't sleep. And a lot of people come to places like the Brahma Kumaris wanting to meditate with that pure intent, but feeling that my mind is just, you know, a lot of people think, no one's got a mind like my mind. You know, <laughs> you know a lot of us really believe that, but actually, the human mind is in so much overdrive. And even thinking to meditate seems hard work. But what I love about spirituality is that it's absolutely natural. True spirituality is natural. And you know the most natural function of the human mind is to remember. 
at every millisecond of life you're remembering. As you sit here now, as I'm speaking, you may remember what I'm saying, but you may be remembering what you have to do, remembering what just happened, we're remembering someone's opinion. You are constantly remembering. It's the most natural function of consciousness. And in one sense, all we're beginning to do is refocus that natural state towards the divine. Because there's three steps in remembering. The second you remember anything, it's like you have a subtle thread of your intellect connects with that thing. And as soon as you connect, you're influenced. And as soon as you're influenced, you have a feeling in your mind. So if you're sitting here now and you remember a family member and you have a really good relationship with that family member, the millisecond the thread of your intellect touches that thought, touches that family member, you feel good, you feel love, and the feeling inside the sacred space of your mind is warm, it's comfortable. But if as you're sitting here, you remember a friend, a family member you're not getting on with, there's conflict, there's differences, the second you touch that thought, you feel uncomfortable. Negativity flows through you, inside of you. And in the feelings in your mind, you may feel angry, hurt, resentful. What is happening is constantly all day, your intellect is plugging in, remembering, and plugging, plugging, plugging. And plugging into all sorts of destinations that are negative. It's almost like you're clicking on websites. You touch, you click on the website, you download this negative energy into your mind, and then you wonder why you're not feeling good. When you remember, you know, a relationship that's difficult or whatever, <clears throat> the vibrations, the feelings in your mind are low. They're not positive. But when you actually learn just to refocus and remember the Supreme, the millisecond your intellect touches, it's almost like you live stream an ocean of peace, an ocean of love, an ocean of purity, an ocean of power. You just live stream that energy into your mind. And really, meditation is nothing more than remembering that source which is constant of everything I need. And the more I do that, the more I have spiritual power. And I begin to see my own experience that when you plug into the old stories, the old memories, the old regrets, instantly you go down a low vibration. And in a way, you start to become more aware because you know how you dwell on something if you don't feel happy. You know, I often think the question to ask myself, if I'm not happy, if I'm not feeling good, the real question is what am I remembering? What am I remembering? What have I plugged my consciousness into and I'm live streaming all those feelings back inside my mind? Because the more 
I remember who I am, the more I have this connection with God, it fills me with that inner strength to be honest, to be honest with myself. I think honesty clears a lot of regrets and to forgive myself too. I would say self-forgiveness is one of the greatest acts on the spiritual journey because forgiveness <clears throat> is really letting go all the conditions of my mind that stop me being loving. Each time I can't forgive myself, I suppress my love. I suppress those good feelings. Nothing makes us healthier than we feel good about ourselves. But when I can't forgive, I, will, I can't let go. And my own experience, and even listening to so many people, that when I really have this loving relationship with God or the divine, I really begin to have a, a much bigger picture of my life. And I start to see things that have happened. Now I have a new awareness and I can let it go. I can free myself. I can move on from the regrets and the stories of the past because at that time perhaps I didn't have the wisdom which I have now. It like frees me to begin a new chapter. And even if necessary, I can apologize too. To me, I love to feel light inside. And so if I've done something, I will always try to apologize. And even if the other party doesn't accept that apology, it doesn't matter. You know, I have a, a friend in Australia um, and he was telling me that he began his spiritual journey. And <clears throat> on his spiritual journey, as he really began to get deeply into it, one regret he had was he'd had a falling out with a friend and they weren't speaking to each other. So he said, I'm going to resolve this. I'm going to deal with this. So he rang his friend. His friend wouldn't answer his call. You know, mobile phones now, the name comes up. <laughs> wouldn't answer his call. And so he then went to a third party, another friend, who knew both of them and said, can you tell him I'd love to meet him? He still wouldn't do it. And you know, he said he reflected really deeply on himself and what he noticed was that he was saying to his friend, now come on, let's get on, let's resolve the past, let's get over the past. But he said inside he still felt, I was right. You know? Let's, let's resolve it, let's get over it, let's be friends. But inside we still think, I was right. Guess what? It won't work. And you know what he did? He said he let go that feeling that I was right and his friend began to answer his calls. You know, sometimes the spiritual journey, we have to become so humble, don't we, to really go deep and resolve things in myself first. And when I resolve things, often that extends to my relationships with others. You know, my feeling today is that it's so important to have a regular spiritual practice. It's like the health of the soul. Why? Because if I'm not caring for my state of mind, if I'm not feeding a quality of thought to my mind, 
I start to absorb the vibes of the world. Look at our world. You know, I have a friend in Australia who's a psychotherapist, and she said all the data all over the world, <clears throat> anxiety is going like this through the roof. Depression is going like this through the roof. And unless I regularly do something for me, what happens is I start to absorb this energy as well. And when I do something for me, I feel more and more that if I keep my state of mind, it's like my, the vibrations in my mind in a good state, in a positive state, there is no greater gift for your family members. I find so many people, they spend so much of their mental energy worrying about the family, worrying about the children, worrying about this, worrying about that. Actually, if you keep a good state of mind, your energy will sustain you, sustain the atmosphere, and automatically sustain those close to you. They will feed off your positive vibrations. And sometimes there's two types of support. There's emotional support and spiritual support. Emotional support is when one of your friends or family is going through a tough time and you try to help them. You sit with them and you encourage them and you support them. And it's good. But the next day they come back and they're in the same state once again and you have to talk and talk and talk. But spiritual support is holding their value in your attitude and keeping your state of mind in a positive state, in an elevated state. And automatically your company, your vibrations, your presence, your face will help support them. And this is why really the more I look after myself, and really develop a regular practice. You know, I feel it's just such an important thing. And a lot of us feel, well, I don't know whether I, you know, really want to. And I often feel, try it for three months regularly. Try not just meditating, but putting a little structure into your everyday. And to me, that is, yes, waking up, remembering, meditating, but during the whole day practicing to hold those vibrations in your mind. And if something happens and you get affected, you lose it, you lose it, you lose those feelings, build them up quickly again. It's like you're a self-education to sustain yourself. Because for whatever reasons, our world is going through such a challenging time. And most of us feel it can even be more so into the future. So I need to look after myself, and in doing that, I feel we automatically begin to sustain those I really love around me. So I often feel a regular spiritual practice is an act of love for myself. A regular spiritual practice is an act of love for myself. Anyway, I think I'll put a pause button on myself. <laughs> which I probably should have done a few minutes ago. <laughs> but um, if anyone would like to ask a question or make a comment, then you're most welcome. Yes, please. I think you have to use a microphone. 
so everyone can hear. Should you be living in the present to overcome your regrets of the past? Would, would you, uh, you ask, sorry, can should you just... Living, should you be living in the present to overcome the regrets of the past? Yes. <clears throat> Is it easy to live in the present? I think, you know, I've intellectually it's a good thing to do but you know I feel we all have these karmic debts of the past and that's why psychology says up to 70% of our thinking is of the past because there's the unfinished business there's the red ink of the past so our intent is to live in the present but the reality is these accounts are like magnets because they're unfinished business. And in a way, I don't feel we have to really focus on the individual regrets. It's almost like the more I become soul conscious, the more I become self-aware, then almost as I take my power back, the regrets or the magnet of the mind to keep dwelling on the past happens less and less because the magnet of the mind is more connected with, the, with God. Of course it takes practice. Of course it takes time. My own feeling is the more you feel self-respect, the less regrets take you into that deep, dark place of hopelessness, which sometimes they can do. Mm. There's a lady... Thank you. Um, you mentioned that it is important to have a regular spiritual practice. Um, I just want to know whether the meditation should be done at a particular time. Is that important? Or can it be done any time of the day? Uh, along with, of course, trying to um, have this regular connection with the Almighty. But the particular practice of Raj Yoga, should that be done at a particular time each day? Well, <clears throat> you know, I'll tell you my timetable. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I meditate for 45 minutes. And, you know, I do feel that if you develop a practice, whether it's at that time or sometime, it lays a platform for your thinking. Just a little analogy, my experience is that when you meditate well in the morning, it's like an awareness. You create this positive awareness in your mind. Imagine your thoughts are like plants growing out of the earth of awareness. So when the awareness is positive, as you go about a busy day, your thoughts are still positive, even when you can't really, you know, you're busy and you've got to do things. Because to me, Meditation is an attitude to life. It's not something you just do morning and night. It's like a decision you make that I'm going to live as a peaceful soul. This is really who I am. Intrinsically, I'm a soul, and the intrinsic nature of the self is to be peaceful. So I want to live in that state. So I would, we sit down to meditate, to practice. But the real time, I would say, is during the day. And if I can say that I find there's three approaches to meditation. It can be a hobby, 
a discipline or a lifestyle. So <clears throat> you can do it as a hobby. Some people, yeah, I just feel like meditating, so every so often I'll do it, maybe once a month, maybe ten times, whatever. It's good. It helps. When it's a discipline, a lot of people start to meditate daily, like exercise, you know, you do it on a regular basis. But I find as soon as they stop meditating, their mind reverts to their old thinking. I just switch back to my old worrying sort of state of mind. So I do meditate, it helps a little bit, I feel better then, but I easily switch back to my old perception. When it's a lifestyle, it's like I live more in the awareness of who I am and the connection so that you carry the meditative feeling throughout the day. This is really what a spiritual practice is. And even in the evening, to sit and meditate is a good thing too. Really, I feel we have to build a little structure into my day according to my responsibilities to the family and work that works for me, that is going to sustain me as a person. And even if the day is a disaster, sometimes days are disasters, they don't go well. To really practice, not, you know, not to feel hopeless about it, to learn from it, to learn from the regrets, learn from what's happened, and really start afresh the next day. You know, my own experience, I'm a daily meditator for, well, it's nearly 45 years now, but when I started, I would still, you know, go up and down, but less and less and less and less and less. And I can honestly say I feel really quite stable now, regardless of the external environment. It's not a quick fix. It's a long-term investment in quality of life. What else can you do? What else can we do for ourselves in this world at the moment? It's, that's why I feel it should be the number one priority. Because when you're in a better state of mind, you're a much nicer family member, you're a much nicer colleague, and you're, you will feel much better about the person you are. So to, to experiment with a little structure that works for you, I think is really important. The main thing is to do it from today. <laughs> really, I'm, maybe I'm sounding a little bit over-enthusiastic, but you know, we're such good people at heart and yet, you know, scratch the surface of almost everyone today. There's so much unresolved stuff and regrets inside about so many things in life. It's a jungle of unfinished business. It's very difficult to enjoy life when it's like that. I've got to start doing something on a practical, step-by-step -step basis. Mm. There's somebody up the... You seem to be saying that uh, regrets are something we build up over our life. So if we are to reduce regrets, we should be starting very early in school so that regrets don't happen. <laughs> so that means you're saying spirituality, meditation, should be a school subject 
Is that what you're saying? I'm looking at you. Well, I think it would be a good idea. Uh -huh. um, I don't know what all of you... <laughs> you know, just more of an awareness of our inner world. I just find the superficiality of life today. We are so obsessed with everything external. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people and younger people today are so intellectually powerful, clever, and yet so emotionally fragile. You know, like the external is so strong and yet the internal world, because we just don't learn about our internal world. You know, we're educated for up to what, how many years at university and school, and yet we, if I start to have a lot of fear, what do I do? What mechanism, what, how can I work with this stuff? No one ever, it's not even a discussion, let alone a process often. And these days I think a lot of schools are offering meditation um, appropriate for children. So it is creeping in, in, in many places. Um, and I'm sure here, I know in Australia, like all the main banks have meditation rooms, the National Airline has meditation rooms. There's one university that offers meditation for the entire staff and all 70,000 students. All of them are offered a, a possibility to learn meditation. But it's not just the meditation practice, it's learning really about myself, that I am a soul and my unique quality. So I, I have an awareness of the sort of person I am, my, I am, my vulnerabilities, my strengths, and some strategies to work with my vulnerabilities so that they... Because otherwise we have so much strength, so many beautiful aspects, but I get so obsessed with my vulnerabilities and my weaknesses and my mistakes, I don't enjoy life. And, you know, spirituality is really working with the inner world. Mm. You know, the last, the last pope was asked, someone asked him, what's your take on the world? And he said, the globalization of superficiality. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good description. Such a superficial world. And that's why I feel this frenetic pace we live and all the devices we use are for really just to entertain an overactive mind. You know, if I just stop and remain silent, most people go into a dark place. Unfortunately, there's no power to remain. We just go into a dark place of dark thoughts and these sorts of things. Mm. Om Shanti. Following on to what this brother just mentioned, I have to ask you if uh, it is important for the children to understand what diseases are like uh, themselves from early in terms of how the national, the education system explain to children not just curriculum about maths but health literacy about the nature of why people are having dementia, why is it affecting early, it's, it's, there's a rise with early onset dementia even young people are having it. 
if they understand the nature of illnesses, then they will understand what it takes to be well and become unwell. And then they will not then be walking as in the world with in super, as superficial, but understand world in a, from a very early stage in their life. Because the school do not emphasize on health literacy from an early age, then parents... You know, I do think that these things are important, but I think young people mainly learn from who we are. And, you know, a lot of parents, I find, come along and say, I really want my children to do this, and I always feel, if you do it, automatically. <laughs> you know, I think, we often think about them, but actually, if we model a state of mind, a respect for people, if we model a consciousness that we feel is appropriate in life, that's, there's no more powerful teacher than that. Example is the most powerful form of leadership. And as a parent, we're like a leader in that way. And I and that's why I often say, if you want to help your children, practice yourself. And automatically, it will influence not just your children, but the people around you too. And I, all of us sitting here, if we meet somebody who is very loving, kind, peaceful, it influences us. It inspires us sometimes to change ourselves. So. You know, I think what spirituality really says, when I change, my family will change, my community will change, the world will change. The Brahma Kumari's saying is, when we change, the world will change. Everyone's trying to change everything out there, but unless human beings change, I don't think anything's going to change much in this world at the moment. Yeah. So maybe we should... Mm. How about thinking uh, about regret in this way, which I do to help me deal with it? Um, regret also is also sort of a part and parcel of life. It's a learning experience from which you realize what you've done right and what's, what you've done wrong. So it's basically, uh, you, 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 it, it, to my way of thinking, it's always been a part and parcel of my life. But then there's the other thing. It's a retrospective thought. So therefore, if it's happened in the past and it's gone, why worry about it? <laughs> okay? What you've learned um, is, is, is what's going to uh, teach you not to do again. So in a way, um, it's a part of your psyche. So why not deal with it in a positive manner? Yes, so uh, I mean, without actually going into the spiritual aspect of what you're saying, you don't necessarily have to go into that to deal with it. You've got to deal with it in a positive way and say, you know what, it's been a learning experience. It's, it's in the past, it's gone. And what should I do better next time? So this is my way of dealing with it. I don't know what, you, what your views are with that. I couldn't agree more. I think um, 
if we uh, have that strength of character to do that, it's a blessing really. But I think most people, we can even sometimes feel that, but it can come back again. You know how sometimes it seems resolved, but you know, often I feel it's how you feel about yourself. And when you feel low again, those thoughts can come back again of the past. It's not fully resolved. But if you can do that, I think it's really excellent. The idea of spirituality is that I empower my consciousness through self-realization, God-realization. It sort of gives me a strength, the strength to really resolve it. But if you can do it just through determination, it's wonderful. I think we might just wind up and have just a few moments of meditation. And um, <clears throat> if I can suggest that we can put down books and phones and whatever, and I will just play some soft music and I will just speak out a few thoughts. as a part of life's journey. I experience moments in the past which sometimes fill me with regret. Spirituality is to empower myself to let go these regrets of the past. Visualize yourself as a tiny spark of life energy residing in the front of the brain in the center of the forehead. This is the eternal self. And I sit in my temporary body. I've lived before this body and I will continue after this body. Just feel yourself sitting so lightly in the forehead. I, the eternal soul, 
I am a peaceful soul. Feel the fragrance of peace, the natural state of the self, filling the sacred space of your mind. The more I experience who I am, peace is a natural byproduct. And in this state of self-awareness, I look through the eye of my mind to see the form of the divine, the form of God, a radiant jewel of light. This is the highest connection of my mind to remember the one who is an ocean of peace, an ocean of love, an ocean of strength. Just feel the vibrations of love, this pure love, this divine love, entering the core of your being. Just feel this energy healing deeply. And the stories of the past, the regrets of the past, begin to dissolve. The more I remember the source of peace and love, the more I step back into my self-respect. If each morning I wake and before I think of what I have to do or what has happened, let me sit quietly reconnect with my true self and the divine.
Just let's say, if you'd like to show your appreciation, just give one wave, <laughs> one hand wave to uh, Brother Charlie. Okay, so on behalf of the um, audience at Harmony House, I'd like to thank you, Brother Charlie, for sharing some insights into the causes of regrets and, more importantly, offering some solutions how we empower to overcome the regrets.